Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. My name is Michael Kelly, and with us, as always, and for this very special episode, uh, Mr. Nathan Allen Bear. Nathan, how are you, sir? I'm just great, Mike. Just great. Happy that we're here talking about uh, the one thing that I think everyone has been waiting to talk about. Uh, Martin Scorsese dropping Ishiro Honda's name in the second part of the his Franz Leibowitz documentary. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's why we're here, right? The Franz Leibowitz documentary? Um, in a way. Uh, in a second, more accurate way, we are here to discuss uh, 2021's Godzilla vs. Kong, uh, the fourth film, I believe. Fifth film? Fourth film? Uh, <laughs> fourth film. It is. It is. Okay. Because... Okay, fourth film in uh, Warner Brothers' very creatively named MonsterVerse. Um, and so that includes, of course, 2014's Godzilla. Uh, I believe it was 2017's Kong Skull Island. Uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters from 2019. And now this film, which is in a way kind of capping off all those previous films um this is has just been released you know a couple weeks ago as as of recording and for all intents and purposes it looks to be a hit film that people do not hate <laughs> so that is good you know if you're a fan of kaiju and you know explicitly a fan of godzilla uh you know, this is kind of a, a weird time, but a good time because, yeah. you know, this movie and we'll get into it, but it's sort of I don't know if you want to say corrects the mistakes of the earlier films, because it does seem like each film in this MonsterVerse series kind of has its own tempo and, and, you know, moves to the beat of its own drum and certainly the 2014 Godzilla has a very different tone than this. Like yeah. it's, they're completely removed now from one another. Um, so, I'd Oh, sorry. Better, I'd say for the better at this point. Um, I, I'd say, uh, third time's the charm, at least when it comes to the films with Godzilla, uh, third time's the charm. Um, skull Island was good. Not, you know, there were some flaws, but, uh, yeah, I think of all the films thus far starring Godzilla, this has been the most uh, positive, but the most enjoyable. Uh, <laughs> where myself and I feel everyone in the audience just had good vibes, uh, you know, coming, you know, the ebb and flow between what's going on in the screen and how we're feeling in our seats. Uh, I, I just felt it was a, a lovely and pleasant experience. Uh, agreed. Agreed. I... You know, this thing had actual legitimate rewatch value, entertainment yeah. value. Like, Something. I could uh, envision myself actually owning this uh, in some form or another and watch it, you know, for what we would refer to as um, fun at some yeah. point in the future. Unlike <laughs> uh, the previous two, which, if I must, I'm sure, and likewise yourself might probably have to watch it with at least a fifth of jameson next to 
uh, next to your person at all times. You know, Google it's that. weird. I I don't think I've actually gone back and watched Godzilla 2014 in its entirety uh, since since that year it came out and like i don't own any of these movies except for kong skull island because i really like kong skull island's like 70s soundtrack and it's got great cinematography and the monster fights are really awesome but as a movie it doesn't really work great you know um i think jordan vaught roberts was like kind of base the entire movie around like the poster for apocalypse now <laughs> you know what i mean so it yeah. doesn't it doesn't really function all together as a movie and then you know our problems with king of the monsters have been you know cataloged in exhaustive detail on that episode and i don't really think we need to revisit too much of that today no, but not at all <laughs> yeah this works as a movie i mean it's a silly movie a very silly movie yeah. but like it actually works it's entertaining it does not you know shoot itself in in his foot it gets out of its own way when it has to yes which was like a crucial flaw in some of the others and you know, it realizes that if we can't get the stuff with the humans to be interesting or fun or whatever, then let's just cut out as much of it as we possibly can. Right. <laughs> you know, to, to just always what you know. One way it has shot itself in the foot in previous films is death by overcasting, and it looks like, at least according to Wikipedia, they did a fair amount of cutting. Uh, you know, and. I think with the time, thanks because the principal photography, I believe, was finished in 2019, so that was all in the can. So everything was essentially in the can before the pandemic, and uh, everything else was just left to post-production. Uh, and I think they made the wise choice in just you know cutting a lot of uh, unnecessary stuff out, um, leaving us with uh, a nice gem. Yeah, I mean, they had an extra year, a full year to edit this and yeah. i really think that extra year probably saved the movie because you know and we'll get into a little later you know some of the characters some actors just sort of pop up for even like one line and you're like what i didn't even know this person was in the movie Right. And then they're gone, and it's like, well, yeah, that's because they cut out like thirty-five minutes of stuff from earlier, <laughs> earlier on. Um, but it doesn't. It does affect the movie in that it makes it better. So uh, there you have it. Um, but a couple of uh, you know some some business we should get through. Um, it's directed by Adam Wingard, who made. A beautiful looking movie called The Guest uh, with Dan Stevens, uh, which basically worked as a thriller. A lot of neon at the climax of that film, a lot of neon at the climax of this film. So yeah. you can kind of see some directorial stuff kind of bleeding over there. Um, the producers were Thomas Tull, John Jashney. Uh, Brian Rogers, Mary Parent, Alex Garcia, and Eric McLeod. And 
uh, it was released on March 24th, 2021, internationally. And then here in the States, it was released March 31st, 2021 on, you know, in the U.S. And then also on HBO Max, uh, much to the chagrin of every creative in Hollywood (laughs) who's, you know, there there was a period of time a few months ago where um, Legendary and Warner Brothers were contemplating suing HBO because they didn't have any input on this whole same-day release deal. Mm. Uh, But that has since resolved itself, and they decided not to sue. But I can say that next year, 2022, it's going to go back to, you know, films playing in the theaters first before they drop on HBO Max. Um, But I feel like that's an entire other discussion of how weird it is that this movie is just because I ha- I am privy to HBO Max, so I can go through like today. I was looking at a few scenes and just being able to just scrub through and and check on things. So weird for a movie that has just come out and not just yeah. like a straight to red box, you know, modern day Bruce Willis movie, but like a real movie, yeah. <laughs> like a movie that costs. <laughs> $250 million is just available immediately. It's a very weird thing. It is. Uh, so the because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the release date for this film was pushed back a shitload. And I just I took the liberty of writing down the, uh, the release date history, uh, as it were. So originally... This film was supposed to come out March 13th, 2020. Then, you know, the pandemic revealed itself to be a real thing that was going to, you know, shut down everyone's life for at least a year. So they moved it back to May 22nd, 2020. That proved not to work. So they pushed it back again to May 29th, 2020. Then they pushed it back yet again to November 20th, 2020. Then they pushed it to May 21st, 2021, this year. And then lastly, they pushed it back up, um, you know, a few months right. uh, to, um, you know, March 31st here in the States. So the, the release date on this thing is jumping around like Frogger avoiding traffic, man. I mean, it's like been so confusing. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I'd um, say fortunately, oh. it did come out in theaters, and it was not. Uh, I'm glad they waited um, until it was uh, deemed safe to open theaters at uh, you know uh, at uh, in social in a socially distanced safe way or as safe as you can get in an enclosed space um, because. You know, watching it on the big screen and then trying to watch it again on HBO Max, the difference is just huge. Um, and not to say that we haven't enjoyed our fair share of Godzilla movies. I'd say most of all the ones we've watched have been on VHS or DVD. Um, but the joy of seeing it on the big screen, uh, that, that's that's what we're all about. Yeah. And I... I saw it in a theater, you know, I took 
I took the risk. I felt it was a professional risk that I had to. And holy cow, you know, not only the, the picture, but the sound design, which is not something we talk about a whole lot um, on the show, mainly because, as you just said, we're, we're experiencing these films for the first time the majority of the time either watching them on TV, watching them on VHS or DVD, but seeing one of these things and especially what like a modern Hollywood movie in a theater. And uh, you know, I saw Shin Godzilla in a theater as well. I was extremely lucky uh, to see that and that as well. And any sort of, you know, 21st century modern film sound design and you apply the ludicrous Bonkos kaiju mentality to it, and it's going to be fun, and it's going to be worth seeing, in my you know opinion. And it's, I'd say going back to sound design, I, I, this one was nice. Well, we'll get into it further, but there is a deaf character or a hearing impaired character, um, and that they use that uh, in the sound design. Um, also, I felt that most of the sound in, in the past in the last well three including Skull, Kong Skull Island there's just a lot of like really loud bangs that are just there to shake you out of your seat um, and it, it just you know it becomes annoying after a while it's just like bang, you know it's just like literally beating a metal pot uh, you know next to your eardrum and it, it's like they're trying to do that uh, in lieu of actually building tension and it's not just this franchise it's other like small horror movies that do this as well it's like well we don't know if this is actually going to scare people so we're just going to make a really loud noise to you know to to get the effect across um and this one avoided that for the most part like it's loud when it needs to be loud it's quiet when it needs to be quiet uh and everything sounds uh nice and smooth overall so yeah yeah it's you know what i think it is and it's you know, pe- people might not be seeing the forest for the trees here, but it may just be because they've made three other of these and they're like learning between each one, like what works and what does not. Because there is a clarity to the images of the monsters in this film that has not been present. And maybe for artistic choices, and but also maybe for technical limitations at the yeah. time. Um, that once you get to this film, you know, if you go back, which obviously we have and watch in order, like the first few kaiju movies, it doesn't just go from Godzilla to, you know, Godzilla versus King Kong, and all of a sudden it's everything's just working and great. Right. If you go back and watch the first Godzilla, it's great and moody, but it's like a film noir in a way, in the way that it's shot. And, right. you know, there's some real problems with Godzilla Raids again. And even things like the Mysterians and Rodan. Rodan looks pretty good. But, like, there's, there's a learning curve. Like, they, they had to learn how to do it right. in the old ones. And it took a few movies to yeah. get it looking correct. So it's not a huge leap to be like, okay, you know, they really needed to make three or four of these things to really figure it out and crack it. True. 
you know. Uh, um, I wish that, uh, you know, as there was no uh, ending teaser uh, in this film, I, I don't know where this franchise is going or if it's going anywhere, which is a shame because this one was quite enjoyable. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I don't know. I want to say they're going to make more, mm-hmm. but they're very expensive. Yeah. And frankly, they've burned through a lot of like the key kaiju at this point. And it's nothing but like awesome fan favorites left. Like, you know, Variety. I wouldn't mind. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, another one of these things where it's like Godzilla and Jet Jaguar teaming up to take on like Gigan and Hedora. Yeah. But I also live in reality and know yeah. that, like, you know, the studio's probably not going to greed light a $250 million Hedora movie, even yeah. if Yatsa Micho Bono is still an executive producer on this, which he is. But, like, you know, how far down the rabbit hole do we want to take this? And that's a really well, good there's... question, and I don't know. There's a question of where the Americans are willing to take it and where the Japanese are. And the two seem to have had the the two, uh, both Hollywood and Tokyo seem to have this uh, same mentality recently that you know we're only going to do Godzilla, uh, King Ghidorah, Mothra, and Rodan. That's like it, if anything. Right. Now with this new animated series coming up soon this year, uh, that might change things, but we'll have to leave that for when that drops. Um, yes, we'll we'll discuss singular point a little bit later on, but exciting times. Yeah. Um, well, one last but, thing for me oh, yes. before we get to the plot. I will say that uh, as much as I enjoyed the film, I was a teensy bit triggered by it. Uh, at least the beginning, the fact that we're that the first half of the movie we're kind of following a conspiracy theorist who's you know <laughs> yes. not proven he's not proven right but he's not really proven wrong either and while i can't fault the the creators of this movie because this was done in 2018 2019 it does feel really cringy when people are talking about hand sanit when a guy's talking about hand sanitizer watching in bleach questioning the fluoride in the water uh and the fact that millie bobby brown's character is kind of worshiping this guy it does really that the first half of the movie did really uh, I, I think with, yeah it's a, the conspiracy theorist trope that has been around in these movies for a long time I mean Woody Harrelson was basically this exact same character in the movie 2012 right um, and there's like a ton of other examples yeah. I think I don't know I, it might be kind of like how in Die Hard, the bad guys were terrorists, and yeah. like that was cool and fine up until like September 11th, and then right. for like five or six years after September 11th, like you couldn't really have terrorists in a movie, uh, or you could, but it just had to be deadly serious, like right. you know Green Zone with Matt Damon or whatever. It could, it was wasn't fun anymore. Right, right. Um, and uh, and I think that maybe what you're alluding to is. Yeah, it's you know, the, kind of a sign of the times, you know. Yeah. We're, you know, if Nashville had not been, you know, if the AT&T building in Nashville had not been, you know, bombed, 
by a lunatic that thought that 5G was going to, you know, zap his brain or whatever. Um, or if there weren't certain, uh, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greens claiming that the Jews have a space laser uh, that caused the California wildfires. And if certain 45th presidents hadn't insinuated that, you know, drinking bleach uh, would cure Corona, uh, maybe I wouldn't be so right. like kind of about it. Um, but the rest of the movie was fine because, again, while he wasn't proven, while he wasn't proven wrong necessarily, he wasn't proven right. So there's this balance between that. But I will say, yeah. like the beginning of the movie, I was well that and because the last two had been kind of abysmal, uh, <laughs> just made me wonder, like, oh boy, what am I, what am I getting into this time? So and that and the the character of Bernie highlights the portions of the movie that could very easily be removed from the film at, to really little to no effect. So that kind of exacerbates things. Yeah. Um, he He's with what, you know, Adam Wingard refers to as Team Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, a lot of really great actors in this movie, which we'll get to um in in the plot but like it's the same song with the other three where they've just loaded it with amazing actors and frankly we don't have time to go through all of them and talk about all the amazing movies they've been in Uh, so but you know we'll try to mention them when they come up um but i also wanted to mention the film was is it continues to be a financial success and uh, so far, it's taken in about $300 million worldwide. And HBO Max claims that it is their most downloaded piece of content uh, ever, which means it has defeated the Snyder Cut. Uh, <laughs> so that is a victory right there. <laughs> um, and it's only 113 minutes. Okay, so it's, yeah, it's an hour and 53 minutes, which yep. is like, thank you uh, for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not bad. Yeah. It was, um, this was a movie I really, really had to pee towards the end, TMI, but uh, I was just so hooked on what was going on. It's like I held it in. I held it in. I just was like, nope, don't want to miss a second of this. Yes. So, and yeah. I will say that. It's just occurred to me that uh, there's a giant spoiler in this movie, which somehow, if you've managed to avoid in the marketing and the legion of YouTube videos that are just exclusively the fight scenes from this movie that conjured into existence immediate, like hours after the movie was rele- released, um, that obviously we're going to be going through the entire plot and spoiling everything. So you know stop listening if you haven't seen the movie yet it is actually worth it it is actually entertaining go i can't you know i can't directly recommend go to a theater and see it but if you have a friend that has hbo max they can hit play and then they'll leave the room and then you can watch it (laughs) (laughs) like a good friend
Ed Bella? Sorry, I can't talk now. It's time to meticulously dissect the plot. Such an obscure Simpsons joke, but, you know, it's fine. Because everything else in this movie is so, like, you know, idiocracy, you know, big monkey hits the big dinosaur in the face that I think we can have some deep cuts here. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so let's start with there's some cool logos that look expensive uh then it cuts to the a shot of the the blazing sun and some like pterodactyl pterodactyl things flying around and it says somewhere on skull island and kind of swoop in yeah Yeah. we see kong Kong sleeping one off <laughs> and he, he stretches. He, you know, he, he, you know, he starts his day. You know, he and scratches his butt. Sorry, takes, um, oh, yeah. this is. I just wanted to say we have the first pretty cool needle drop of the movie. It's um, "Over the Mountain" by Bobby Vinton, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's a offbeat choice to start the. It's it's a bold choice. <laughs> to start the movie because the song is from like the 1950s so yeah. like you know but kong's from the 30s so who gives a so, shit yeah uh, uh so uh, so kong you know wakes up stretches yawns uh gets up scratches his butt uh takes a shower under a waterfall i'm honestly surprised they didn't imply that he you know took a dump at some point in this opening <laughs> montage because it was like i mean you might as well right at this point but anyway so this is going on he, he's scraping a tree of its bark and branches a big tree yeah. uh while this like little uh native girl is uh making this little what appears to be a kong doll yes and uh this you know back and forth between what he's doing what she's doing uh culminates in him uh seeing her and uh, we learn through the visuals and then through the sound that this little native girl is hearing impaired because yes. Kong gets closer, it kind of cuts to her ear and the sound changes and it's like, ah, she can, she can kind of feel Kong but not really hear Kong. So then um, she holds up the little doll. He's not particularly amused with it. Um, but he doesn't hurt her, which no. is good. Um, instead, he takes the big, really big uh, tree and tosses it toward the sky. Right. Which he's uh, fashioned into, like, um, basically a spear at this point. Yeah. He's taken off all the branches and kind of, like, yeah, the root yeah. system. And guess what? The sky isn't really the sky. It's in fact a big. Uh, be, be, it's a dome. Kong, Kong's been Truman showed. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, would yeah. you think that would have been a nice subplot that would have tied in with the original King Kong versus Godzilla if they had been like if Kong had been like kind of just filmed? It's oh, like this. Oh yeah, the yeah. The world already knows they're a kaiju, right? If if some so, if somehow. Uh, Taco could have gotten his hands on like a ten trillion dollar budget for <laughs> for his pharmaceutical company's like TV show. Maybe 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, and then, like, he, he's trying to stop the scientists from taking him to Antarctica because it's like, no, no, you're taking away my cash monkey. <laughs> um, I'm honored to say that the the girl who's hearing impaired, his, uh, the character's name is Gia, uh, spelled J-I-A, and she's played by Kaylee uh, Hoddle. Um, and she's, I think, the best actor in this movie. She's the only one that makes any impression <laughs> at all, other than Damien Bashir, who's, like, amazing and refuses to be bad in anything. But, like, basically, sh- her and Kong are the only two characters that I give a shit about at all in this movie. And it is kind of a throwback to the original Mothra twins and the certain other uh, you know, like the the small kid that understands the giant monster trope that I, I really like. Um, yeah. So that was a nice throw. Um, um. So from here, we are then, uh, we're introduced to Bernie. Oh, well, who is, I, I'm sorry. Well, we have to mention this title sequence is like really cool and really well done. And... Uh, kind of almost operates like a, a WWE or WWF, you know, depending on your tastes and, you know, your vintage, like a, a, a sizzle reel, like package uh, that they show before like a wrestling match where it shows like it'll it shows how the story uh, you know, built up to this point where these two people just have to fight, you know, and that's that's kind of what this is. It's a uh, video package explaining why you know these two are destined to 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 lay the smackdown, and you know shows clips uh, ranging from you know the atomic test footage from the 1950s that was even in like the original Rodan, and then it shows clips, it, albeit in sort of filtered kind of you know black and white kind of fuzzy vision form with like text strewn about but it shows kind of the highlights from all the other all the other monster fights from every one of these movies so far and you know it gives like the tale of the tape on like the the mutos and like king Ghidorah and like all this stuff and i will say you know i would like to watch this opening sequence at like 0.25 speed because they one thing i noticed just checking on it today um they allude to how the storm that sort of acted as a barrier to skull island back in you know kong skull island which took place in 1973 you know that storm has consumed skull island and gotten bigger and they actually showed this in the opening titles which it's on for like one second and if you look at it you, you know if you look away you'll miss it and that's kind of a big story point that explains like why they have to you know truman show kong um and there's uh, that's just one example there's tons of stuff that i feel is like probably pretty important <laughs> to the plot <laughs> that it's just sort of cursory just kind of like oh yeah just thrown out there um so you know it's not even easter easter eggs it's like homework assignment you know <laughs> <laughs> to, to like make sense of the movie but it's a thesis statement <laughs> uh i will say that 
the music, the score here by Tom uh, Holkenberg, Holkenborg. Um, One of us. <laughs> it's, you know, he doesn't do a, a like a mind-blowing job for the rest of the movie, and his Godzilla theme is like sounds like a generic like parody of a Godzilla theme you'd hear in like the Dr Pepper commercial from 1985. <laughs> you know, just sort of like they couldn't quite get the rights to it. Or or Godzilla. Well, Godzilla versus Charles Barkley is a masterpiece, and maybe we should do an episode on it. But like, <laughs> um, the I want to say the way that these uh, opening credits sort of climax with it sort of going into the words Kong versus Godzilla, and there's like a bunch of horns that go up super high, very reminiscent of the opening titles for Batman Forever, where it's just like, oh, you're about to see some serious shit that's going down, and. I really appreciated that where it's like that immediately told me like what kind of movie this is that it understands how to use the basic tools of filmmaking to like emote a response <laughs> and uh, therefore be like entertaining, you know, because a lot of these things are just like they just happen. They go by and yeah. You, there's no impact at all, but this was the like, hey, this is. Couldn't tell whether they wanted to be a serious movie, like a dark, you know, a, a serious movie about metaphor, or just a fun entertainment. You know, they made the, the Toho made the immediate choice in uh, 1955 when they made Raids again to essentially ditch the more serious tones of Godzilla and just be like, what if uh, Godzilla fought another monster? And we made money off of that, right? Um, and the same thing with, and it's like, and that uh, formula was later perfected in uh, Kong versus Godzilla when that came out, because they they just immediately threw away any serious metaphors. Like, yes, it is topical of uh, the Japan of its time, but it's not doing it with any of the seriousness that uh, <laughs> and the extreme murder. That, uh, that the original Godzilla. <laughs> oh, I mean, there's, yeah, and this this movie kind of almost goes back and has hit the tone of like the late Showa period, like Terror of Mechagodzilla, where you know there's that sequence where Mechagodzilla and uh, Titanosaurus just lay waste to Tokyo, and it's like if there's you know they killed like a million people just now <laughs> and there there are that type of uh collateral damage does happen in this movie but it's never addressed or even like there's not even like a shot of like a hand under the rubble or anything like that so it's right. just completely separated from any of that serious stuff yeah. which uh it kind of made it go down easier you yeah. know I, I don't I don't need to be reminded constantly in my monster movies of like real life atrocities and stuff, you know? It's like right. sometimes I just want to see the big monkey punch the big dinosaur in the face. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You know, you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. I mean, you know, Pacific Rim, the the first one did kind of get a little 
dark when going into the backstories of why the characters do what they do. However, at the end of the day, it all builds up to big robots fighting monsters. Yeah. You know. Um, what we so see. Uh, now we drop into the, the mind of uh, Bernie, Bernie Hayes. Uh, who, as Nate alluded to earlier, not only is a podcaster, that's strike one, but yeah. he also has a flip phone, which is strike yeah. two and three. And I wanted to say that, you know, as someone who has run a podcast since 2013, and as someone who used a flip phone as their primary source of communication until June of last year, uh, I took a little bit of offense to that because it's like, like if you put like flip phone and podcaster together, it's like shorthand for like, oh yeah, this guy's cracked. <laughs> it's just like, have I cracked? I don't. Is that what this movie's telling me? But you know, Bernie is also like a conspiracy theorist. So and he runs a uh, podcast about the Titans, and he also works for a uh, tech company called Apex in uh, Pensacola, Florida, which is where, you know, we kind of catch up with him uh, after those really awesome credits. Right. And, we, yeah, we find out, yeah, we find out he works for Apex, Apex Predator. Um, and he is, he announces on his podcast that this might be his last show because he is going to get something that will expose everything the big the big conspiracy um of apex so uh he with his janitorial clearance uh get, get <laughs> uh, or engineering clearance uh basically bs's his way uh into uh i wouldn't call him a friend uh, uh or co-worker's uh, office uh babbles on about uh the apple's the GMOs and all that other conspiracy nonsense and uh, talks about here you should use the sanitizer basically drives the guy uh, to the point where he has to leave the room uh, and then Bernie then switches character switches to his more serious self uh, and immediately enters a flash drive into the computer and starts downloading material uh, look, looking for something yeah and just you know, while we're on the subject of Bernie, this actor, uh, Brian Tyree Henry, is a really good actor. <laughs> and, like, he could pull it off. He was in a movie called um, If Beale Street Could Talk yes. a few years ago. And he's got this monologue in it that's, like, horrifying and totally devastating. And he just completely takes over the movie. And it's like, you cannot look away. So, like, right. what I'm trying to say is he has the goods. He was also in uh, Joker, uh, if, if y'all remember that uh, Batman movie that came out a couple years ago that was like, oops, no Batman. <laughs> it's just the Joker. Um, he's in that as well, and he's great. He's a great actor. This script fails him completely, and you would never know how good he is based on this. Okay, that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> no, I think you made a good point, because we should separate. If we don't like something about 
an actor, it's not necessarily it's not necessarily their fault. Sometimes it's the material, or who's directing the material. But we yeah. digress. Um, so he finds out that there's you know a shipment going to Hong Kong. He doesn't know what it is, and that there's like I believe a thirty seventh level. Um, all this is immediately interrupted by uh, sirens and Godzilla uh, ominously approaching from the sea, uh, presumably uh, pissed off that he wasn't, you know, in an episode of Floribama. He was, he, he had his heart set on that. And now he's, now he's coming to Pensacola to get a bushwhacker and take names. He, he's angry. He's juiced. Um... <laughs> His eyes. Uh, it, his eyes are blue yeah. now, and he's here to take it out of America's glory hole, Florida. <laughs> uh, Florida is going to pay the price for his rage. Yeah. <laughs> Godzilla goes nuts and... Or really just goes Godzilla. Yeah. You know, and, and this I appreciated. Because... There isn't that much of just kaiju destroying the city stuff in this movie. It's mostly them kind of relegated to, or relegated, rather, to fighting one another. And there's very little of just like lone kaiju walking around cities destroying them footage in this movie. A lot of the destruction comes as a result of, you know, Kong getting thrown through a building and by Godzilla and stuff like that. And then so, they, their targets seem to be a little bit more precise. Like, he's yeah. definitely headed towards a... He's not trying to destroy Pensacola itself. He's trying right. to destroy the factory for reasons. Um, um, and But this sequence is great and, and kind of the best-looking destruction. It's, it's weird because it's, it's like... It's at night... But, like, it looks good, and you can see everything. And I'm trying to think back to King of the Monsters. I don't think there was anything this explicitly shot of just Godzilla just destroying stuff. I don't think there was. uh, Even the the closest thing was, it's kind of the opposite of this, where Godzilla makes his appearance in Boston, and then the fighter jets fly behind him, you know, giving him that cool, like, entrance shot. Uh, yeah. which is then wasted with a piss-poor fight with uh, King Ghidra. Um, and also, I mean, like a lot of the destruction of DC, for example, we, we completely is ellipsed. Like, by the time in that movie, when we see DC, DC is somehow flooded uh, to the point where there are, you know, Navy destroyers floating <laughs> outside the White House lawn, because uh, apparently the, 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 the water's just that deep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, DC has like already turned into Waterworld. Yes. <laughs> like by the time we cut to it, yeah. and everyone is like, "Oh my God, that was the most spectacular scene of destruction I, I random military dude, ever have ever seen." Oh well, more like more quips from Bradley Whitford like now. You gotta believe me. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, no, it was nice to see, like, an undestroyed area. Monster walks into frame and destroys area with monstering techniques and not cutting away. You know, not not rocket science. 
Yeah, now Rocky took him four movies. <laughs> Wait, no, we need uh, more. <laughs> I, I'm sure. I'm sure there was some some uh, you know naysayer on the editing team that was like, no, 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 this is the perfect time to cut to expository dialogue. Right. <laughs> <laughs> do, <laughs> do we have any footage? Of Bradley Whitford from the last movie that we didn't lose or didn't use. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, Godzilla destroys stuff. It looks awesome. He fights some jets. That all looks great. It's just they're beautiful. Destroyed and not only destroys that, them. They're dead. The carcasses of the 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 exploding planes almost kill a whole bunch of people. <laughs> so that just ups the tension. There's fire. You know, it just makes you feel good inside. Yeah, Go, going completely. <laughs> While Godzilla is destroying the Apex facility, uh, Bernie does manage to catch a glimpse in this sort of de half-destroyed Apex facility of what looks like a big red metal eye. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the, the climax of that scene. It's just sort of like, oh, what's that the eye to? I don't know. Probably I a robot. I guess we'll I have to find out. <laughs> um, I see what you did there, Nate. So we have Team Godzilla stuff for like the next 15 minutes. And I just don't even care anymore. Look, it's Millie Bobby Brown. Still a ridiculous name. And she's... You know, a character from the last movie still unjailed for her direct role in killing, like, I don't know, a hundred million people from, like, th three years ago. Yeah. Uh, but she's just in school now, chilling out, and, you know, CNN breaks in with, like, the urgent story that, you know, Godzilla is, you know, having a rough time of it and taking yeah. things out on Pensacola. And she immediately, like, goes and starts her journey of, like, meeting up with Bernie. You know, she yeah. talks to Kyle Chandler for, like, yeah. five minutes. They briefly and mention Kyle... her mother, uh, who they yeah. don't say is in jail, but one could only hope is in... I think she's dead. The egg at this I... point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the listeners can settle this. I believe Vera Farmiga sacrificed herself at the end of King of the Monsters, but we, while preparing for this episode, Nate and I discovered that we actually cannot remember the end of that movie. <laughs> it's just a fog. Go home. They had to go home. They, Kyle Chandler and... Uh, no, no, uh, but Nate, after that, oh, after when that. they find her in the tub, oh yes, they remember they're racing in a Jeep... To right. the flying wing. Right. And she has to turn on the Ghidorah, like, EMP thing to attract right. Ghidorah to distract from them getting away in the plane. I think. And I think she gets killed. I honestly don't remember. But she's not in this movie. Right. Um, but there are scenes after they find her at the house. That I remember. But, like, so Kyle Chandler is alive. Yes. And he's in this, still named Mark Russell. And he's just completely embraced the dad bod at this point. He's on the sliding scale, somewhere between Gerard Butler and modern-day Russell Crowe. 
Uh, <laughs> on a scale of one to crow, where do you stand? <laughs> on a scale of, you know, giving up, I, I've officially given up, and I'm communicating that to you visually. That's at one end. And the other end is Russell Crowe from the movie Unhinged. <laughs> and it's a sliding scale of how many times are you eating bacon a day? Um, Russell Crowe's a great guy. Why am I saying this? Wonderful actor. Um, but anyways, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> so he's still in, in charge of Monarch, essentially, is what we're right. getting at. He is in charge of Monarch. His daughter is still crazy. Uh, and he's got a lizard on the loose problem. So... Mm-hmm. He's convinced that, like, he's definitely at the the military point of view in, like, uh, the old Toho movies where it's like, we have to kill this thing, and Millie Bobby Brown is like, no, we, we need to learn to understand it, which, you know, I, I get. That that works. It's kind of traditional uh, Godzilla movie compromise. Yeah, it's just like one, one team wants to kill, the other team wants to save and understand. So, uh, so she then teams up with... Uh, Julian Dennison, uh, star of Hunt for the Wilder People and Deadpool 2. Who um, I will only refer to as Ricky Baker for the remainder of this episode. It's the name of his character from Hunt for the Wilder People. And, so uh, she and yeah. Ricky Baker, uh, who, who's playing Judas Priest breaking the law uh, in his, his... In his van. In his van, his disheveled old van... It's it's just the van from onward, right? That uh, Chris uh, Evans, Pine, Hemsworth, one of one of those Chris's, the guy from Parks and Rec. Parks and that that was Chris uh, Pratt. Chris Pratt, yes, the one with the from the Jurassic Park movie that was like a haunted house movie, that made a lot of sense. Um. (laughs) So yeah. Sorry. So yes. So we've got the point is Ricky Baker has an old beat up van. The what? Sorry. Continue, Nate. We've got an Aussie and a Kiwi now in a van searching for a crazy. That's that's what's going on now. Um, So I I don't know. Is there a cut between now and when they uh, they go to meet Bernie? Yes. 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 We Um, cut. uh, There's a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um. Basically, okay, so we cut to a college in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and it's sort of a lower sort of office area that kind of seems almost like it's in the basement, and we meet Alexander uh, Skarsgård, who portrays Dr. Nathan Lind, no relation and uh yes he is courted and in a way seduced by apex ceo uh walt simmons who is played by damian bashir Mm -hmm. who is an amazing actor and refuses to be mediocre in anything he does each scene Uh, in this movie with him is delicious uh, oh, he's 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 great. He single-handedly yeah. saved uh, Machete Kills. He's like, 
he refuses to not be super entertaining in everything he's in and immediately understands the correct tone of this film yes which i think everyone else kind of you know moves towards or maybe not i that's not how movies work but it that's how it seemed to me like whenever he was on it was like oh okay this is like kind of the same energy as like doctor who from king kong escapes yeah. you know like that, he gets it romero in, <laughs> in um in latitude zero like latitude the, zero the, the, the camp value is there it's not yeah. too much but it's just right it, no no he's he's riding right on the edge of the lightning strike uh if i can quote stone cold steve austin's broken skull sessions and um he's playing it just right it's not too big it's not too small he's he's great um and he's also there with uh ren serizawa who is i guess uh professor serizawa's uh son that was never really alluded to in the other two films uh played by uh shun uguri and in the Takashi Miike's uh, Soyuki Western Django. Okay. So he's done some that stuff. 2007 gem. Um, he's fine in this movie. He's really not given that much to do. Right. And I would like to know how Sarazawa's son, like, basically became a villain. I mean, that seems like a yeah. that sort of character arc and journey, which we see approximately zero of would have been a thousand times more engaging <laughs> than, yeah. than everything with Millie Bobby Brown and Ricky Baker and Bernie. And this is essentially the, the issue with the last two movies, with, with this movie and with the, the last one, is that the Japanese character is just kind of there, um, and then they, you know, essentially either die or, you know, made irrelevant by the end of the movie there's no arc they're just kind of there for for right. dressing they're there to say gojira one time yeah, exactly that, <laughs> right? that, that's how it feels because as you say yeah it would be interesting to see him have an arc i mean clearly there must be some father issues where you know you know my dad sacrificed himself for godzilla and uh and all i got with this was this stupid t-shirt uh, no, and and maybe having him like hate Godzilla for that, but we don't know. He's just there. He's just you know again. Right. He's just furniture. He he's not utilized in a way that could be interesting. Um, and the whole you know we'll get to this later, but you know the whole psychic connection, mind control, Mechagodzilla thing is later again made irrelevant. So it's like, well, why was he here in the first place then? Yeah. Um, so they convince Dr. Nathan Lind, who has written a book called The Hollow Earth. Mm -hmm. a very creative name. I think it came from the same people who came up with the name Monsterverse. Um, because it is, in fact, about, wait for it, The Hollow Earth, which was a throwaway line in King of the Monsters that Bradley Whitford kind of like you know mumbled about babbled about for half a second then like you know shut himself down because like no one was listening to him that is now the main plot 
of this movie. <laughs> um, and basically, Damien Bashir is like, there's some power source that we need to like fight uh, Godzilla in the middle of the Earth or some such nonsense. And it's also revealed that um, Dr. Lin's brother was killed in a previous attempt to go to the middle of the hollow earth because the gravity the reverse gravitational pull like crushed him like a grape and that's when damien bashir's like but no we have these really cool uh you know flying spaceship things that look like capsules they they look like what whatever our uh, amazon packages will be getting delivered to us in a driverless form uh you know two years from now yes because driverless cars never need to pee in bottles (laughs) topical keeping it topical they don't talk uh they don't talk they don't talk but these Uh, these pods it's radically advanced technology like it's like something from like 300 years from now like it would have been out of place in blade runner 2049 you know (laughs) or whatever like there's no way these things should exist right i mean again yet uh not um i mean concept wise not um not not their physical appearance but their but their concept does seem you know in on par with you know traditional toho lunacy you know i mean yeah you know if, if, if we can turn the 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 antarctic into a uh, uh a rocket that you know can push the 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 entire earth three inches to the left to avoid a, a meteor I, I you know this is like yeah sure we, we can go with this <laughs> i'll allow it yes i i was thinking about that that there's some things that happen in this movie that are still not as ludicrous as Gorath when they literally turn Earth into a spaceship. Um, but there are things that are close. Yeah. In like the, you know, the Toho Lunisphere. Yeah. <laughs> of just like, you know, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's but it's okay, the point is... Toho oh, sorry. I would say that was a better idea than MonsterVerse, uh, the Toho Lunasphere. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, How are you on? So, like, these magical hovercraft flying car things that I think look like, you know, the Tesla, the Tesla 5 will probably look like this. They, you know what they kind of look like? They look like the. They do look like the police cars from Blade Runner, because they, they have kind of like the smoothed over like tires that are sort of like these engines that are very powerful. Yeah. Um. But enough about the flying cars. Doctor Lind is like, yes, I'm sad that my brother is dead. I will help you. And a key component of this is getting Kong. Because they talk for a little bit about how Kong has this, like, species memory in his DNA. 
about how to memory i believe and they kind of like star trek they immediately compare it to something they compare something complicated to something simple so they compare it to salmon swimming back upstream where they were born so they're trying to essentially do the same thing with kong hoping that if they put him close enough to where he's supposedly from i'm making quotations because i know you all can see me um that that'll uh lead they can through kong uh enter the hollow earth i really love that they're this is basically at this point just like a 250 million dollar remake of king kong escapes yes where it's like they need a giant monkey to to take them into the center of the earth for like element x yeah basically it's you know yeah he's gone full demon bashir's gone full doctor who yeah it, it's it's H- brilliant it's great yeah no um, it, it's good it, he's a nice mustache twirler um not that we yeah. of course i mean i think at this point you know he's going to be the bad guy there's no way looking at the the movie up to now and thinking like oh this guy must clearly have the main character's best interests in mind there's no way this is going to flip around it's like no villain immediately um so yeah. uh then you know they're, um, they're, I believe uh is, is this where do they come from here to rebecca hall again or yes it's they they go to rebecca hall who we haven't mentioned but she is an awesome actress uh she, you know, she was in the Red Riding Hood trilogy. She's in a lot of really good movies. She's and she's great. Uh, in she's that. rock solid. Like she the and all, all, you know compared to the mother daughter relationship in the last movie, which was just like, oh dear God, this is creepy and uncomfortable. Like this was sweet and almost needlessly sincere for a movie that in the end is just about big things beating each other up. But like her relationship with her adopted daughter in this movie is very sweet and right. uh it, and, and it just works really well we should say that she is the one who's assigning with uh gia who is like gia communicates with kong and then rebecca hall kind of commutes with uh, with with gia mm-hmm. so and rebecca hall achieves the impossible in this movie which is she makes a character that you know we kind of care about and she does like a good job and i didn't want to like reach through the screen and like throttle <laughs> and be like shut up <laughs> get to the monsters fighting <laughs> um so let me let me amend that okay so it's the little girl gia is good damien bashir is good and rebecca hall is good Alexander Skarsgård is just sort of around. He's really just kind of a mannequin in this movie who likes to dress like Marty McFly for some reason. Dr. Lind goes to Skull Island. He's like, hey, Rebecca Hall, we're going to take this monkey. We're going to Antarctica. Then we're going to the center of the Earth. And then things are going to get weird. And Rebecca Hall's like, yeah, fine, I guess... Oh, we're doing this my way. That's what, you know, that, that's her whole thing. <laughs> right. Like. Right. And, like, I think she agrees because, like, Kong 
is becoming more and more sort of unstable in his Skull Island compound, and he's getting closer and closer to just breaking through the walls anyways. So it's sort of like this thing is kind of convenient timing-wise. But then we do, which I love in these movies, which they do twice in this movie, they hard cut to Kong just knocked out laying out on an aircraft carrier you know within chains well not an aircraft carrier he's on a transport ship he's like on a ship transport oh right um yeah in chains uh escorted by an air a full fleet you know an aircraft carrier several yeah it looks like a fleet yeah uh which uh i'm sure Um, you know could uh i'm not even gonna make that joke uh yeah he's surrounded by a, a full fleet uh, with all the trimmings, and uh, yeah, on their way to Antarctica. And let's see here. With that, uh, Doctor uh, Lind, like, like he makes a joke, or there's a reference to like Kong's, uh, like his sedative. Oh yeah, they don't want him uh, knocked and, out, they, uh, but they want him. Yeah, they don't want him to be too groggy, right? Yeah. And that just kind of, like, in my mind, opened up a doorway to, like, is there a separate profession in this universe of being, like, a kaiju anesthesiologist? (laughs) And if so, what's that person's story? (laughs) Yeah. You know, what kind of of training is involved with that? (laughs) Oh, well, we'll find out in the straight limited series uh, produced by Warner Brothers uh, in 10 parts. Uh, They are making a spin-off Monarch series. Oh, really? HBO Max and Warner Brothers is. Yeah. They've announced it, at least. I don't know. It'll be their equivalent of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It'll have none of the fun stuff we actually like. And and it'll bring back Sarazawa and be like, I wasn't really dead. We had to do that to motivate Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, he'll walk. Yeah. Uh, Sarazawa. Um, but alien? okay, so <laughs> Sarazawa had to go back to his home planet of Mars. Um, and we we do have a scene at night where it's raining and Kong is like you know restless and Gia comes out and like kind of touches his finger and they do sort of the E.T. thing and Rebecca Hall is like talking to Gia and then like Kong starts signing so like this is now confirmed the most intelligent version of Kong ever Yeah, because he's like actively having conversations with the humans yeah which is great. Um, oh, and also... Uh, in the next Isa, one, they need to get him to talk. Isa Gonzalez uh, appears as uh, Damien Bashir's uh, daughter, um, who you immediately know is yes. evil as well. It's like, yeah, she's got... Right. She's but, pull, pull a twist at some point. <laughs> you could just tell. She's... Uh, yeah. It's... It's... She's... It's about as subtle as Ted Levine's heel turn 
in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom where it's yeah. like he literally is in the movie for like five minutes to be like, I'm not a bad guy. And then five minutes later, it's like, all right, doctor. And they all draw their guns on him. It's like, yeah, she's clearly the bad guy or a bad guy. Um, she was also, I wanted to mention, she was great in The Fast and the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw as the person who just like equipped Jason Statham and the rock with all those machine guns at that like mansion, like halfway through that movie. If you remember, uh, I've recently rewatched all the fast and the furious movies. So I have a pretty good working knowledge of (laughs) that. Pray for me. Uh, but, then we cut back to to Team Godzilla. Yes, and they're uh, and that they, this is where they meet, like they're in their van and they meet Bernie. Yes, uh, Millie Bobby Brown and uh, what was his name again from Wilder People? Ricky Baker. Ricky Baker. Um, they go to uh, I guess the Pensacola's Chinatown or some somewhere. They go to Chinatown. Uh, they meet uh, the Daily Show's Ronnie Chang, who's uh, stocking shells uh, of Mr. Brown, um, and they, they, through him, find where Bernie is, and he's in this little bunker, um, and they convince him to come out, and they go to a diner where he then rambles on about how uh, fluoride, um, you know, brainwashes you because of Hitler. Um and so he decides to take two <laughs> two kids with him to the burnt out remains of uh of the apex compound um and i hope i'm not uh, ellipsing too much but uh they go to the compound he's like i swear that the, it was right there you know we go to the same set and uh the eye is gone uh, Millie Bobby Brown sees yeah. a S, uh, sorry, escalator elevator and they take that to I guess this uh, mysterious 37th floor um, not that it matters in the slightest right Nate uh-huh. but the the this sequence with them <laughs> ends with just him being like come on guys let's go yeah and and because this, this is about the forty three minute mark, that is when you cut back to the ocean, and that's when Godzilla shows up and yeah. fights Kong on the uh, with the naval fleet. Yes, uh, Kong. Um, they 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 let Kong go because they think that he'll have better odds than if he's chained up. And then they do, uh, then Kong uh, and Godzilla uh, fight in a battle that's not too dissimilar uh, from uh, one from Neon Genesis Evangelion, where they're jumping on using the battleships like toys. Um, and this fir- the, the first confrontation happens when they end- both end up on the aircraft carrier, both of them on an aircraft carrier, and Kong just decks Godzilla. Um, and I know I saw this shot in the trailer, but just seeing it on the big screen, just that punch, that beat down, not since King Kong escapes has like just one big punch to the face been so satisfying. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, it's great. And there's there's a lot of really cool beats in this um, in this fight. I feel like we could go through the entire fight, uh, but you know, just suffice to say, folks should watch it. A couple of things that like stuck out to me was there was a pretty overt Jaws reference. I don't know if you caught this, Nate, where like half of one of the naval ships gets you know it gets blown in half and its yeah. anchor gets tied around like Godzilla's tail or his leg or whatever yeah. and like the uh, and like the kind of the, the what is it called the pontoons in jaws it stays above the water while Godzilla the the barrels yeah the barrels that's it yeah the barrels stay above yeah. while King Kong or sorry while Godzilla is still under the water yeah. So we can yeah, see and they can see half of this ship getting pulled on because the the half of the ship like uh, you know pokes through the top of the water, so you can see it getting pulled around like the barrels from Jaws. It's like really cool, nice detail in there. Um, is all their punches are just really hard felt. Yeah, and everything connects, and it's it's like filmed in a creative way for some shots but for most of it it's just very clearly sort of laid out yeah there's stuff underwater that looks good yeah um and then you can tell what's going on so yeah man like 10 out of 10 for this fight Um, it, it, Great. it eventually builds to where Kong is wounded. He's back on his previous ship, and the uh, Skarsgård, I believe, is the one that decides, okay, play dead. You know, they have all the remaining ships, yeah. and Kong just play dead, so that way Godzilla thinks he his w- one, therefore we'll just move on. And it works. Godzilla falls for it and goes away, and Kong's you know, down for the count, but like, that's what I appreciate. That level of human interaction with what's going on with the kaiju is cool and very sort of like uh, Sekizawa-esque, if I can like coin a phrase, which is to say like, you know, the the kind of key Toho movies from like the mid-60s understood that very apparently extremely difficult to recapture sort of flow and tone of like yes having the humans impact the monsters but not to a degree where we lose focus of no we're here to see the monsters so little things like that where they're kind of you know jumping in and 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 kind of changing it around that's great like it's much better uh, than certain straight to netflix series uh Oh boy, <laughs> let's let us never mention that again. Um, anyways, uh, we're not talking about Godzilla Singular Point. Just to be clear, we're talking about oh, yes. Planet of the Monsters and all those movies were just not great, not the best. Planet of the Expository Dialogue. Planet of the Expository Dialogue, indeed. So, okay, after the the boat fight. Um, that's when Team Godzilla, which again is Bernie, uh, the crazy podcaster, and you know he's crazy 
because he has a flip phone. Uh, Millie Bobby Brown and Ricky Baker from Hunt for the Wilder People, uh, they break into the destroyed Apex base, as Nate was saying. They find the hither unto scene super elevator that takes, according to Bernie, it goes to hell. Uh, which was like kind of like a, of a brief spark of like wit uh, yeah. and like, oh, are these are the real actors there trying to like, you know, give a performance? Um, they find these sort of like, I don't know what you'd even call them, like uh, trolleys, to, for lack of a better word. But they look like... Um, uh, pills again, like a sort of circular shape, um, and but they're like transport vehicles, and there's these things. They look like Jeffrey's tubes uh, that just kind of go from Star Trek that just sort of go down, and you're like, hmm, interesting. They get into the nearest one because like the doors open up or whatever, and Millie Bobby Brown finds uh, skull crawler embryos. And yeah. she's like, what are these doing here? And then the doors close. And oh. then I caught it the second time. There's a little, like, <laughs> just to keep you informed as a writer, um, there's a panel on the side of the thing that tells them they're going at least 600 miles an hour. And their destination now is Hong Kong. And they are currently in Pensacola, Florida. So, you know, I... That's going to be an interesting trip. Uh, <laughs> I hope they brought earplugs because it sounds very loud. Um, and that is when you hard cut. Because at the okay, we should say at the end of the boat scene, they're like, "Well, Godzilla destroyed all these boats, so we have to figure out another way of getting Kong to Antarctica." And um, that's after the after the the scene with Team Godzilla. They hard cut to. Uh, Antarctica and they have kind of recreated the end of uh, King Kong versus Godzilla with Kong being like air dropped with like he's he's in a, yeah. a big net uh, that's being towed by helicopters and they do there's almost the same imagery exactly from King Kong Escapes as well they also haul Kong around with um kong with uh, with helicopters instead of balloons and uh so all this stuff and again they're going to antarctica directly out of king kong escapes so like you know and and, and so they get to the um the launch station and they like cut the tethers and kong just sort of falls on the ground it's pretty great <laughs> he's angry he's cold um and he starts to kind of like walk away and somehow the little girl like gets his attention and signs to him hey you have to go into the center of the earth and we'll follow you in our space cars and kong's like yeah that's fine well they imply that his family might be down there oh yeah or that others like him might be down there um um yeah so, so they take their trip team godzilla take or team kong takes their 
trip into the abyss. Um, yeah. And this scene was really trippy. Yeah. And like, I think pretty well done. Pretty cool. Um, it yeah. it kind of reminded me because they go in and first you're in a series of like giant kind of caves that are big enough for Kong to kind of like swing on like the giant stalactites on the ceiling and, uh, and they're following him with their cars, uh, their flying cars um, that are gravity proof. And then it kind of opens up to sort of like a funnel hole in the, in, in the epicenter and Kong just kind of like, he just sort of flings himself into this yeah. hole and then they just basically follow him yeah. now this is where i'm a tad unclear as to why they couldn't just go down there without kong because they seem to know where they're going um but apparently kong had to lead them to this giant hole in the ground yeah. um and then we get this uh the the hollow earth traveling through the hollow earth sequence is really cool it, it's like something out of um interstellar or something it's like violent <laughs> oh, yeah, interstellar, a much better movie yeah <laughs> well uh you know i it would have been awesome if like uh you know dr lind like <laughs> hit like the there was like a cassette player on one of these uh heaves and like it was Michael Caine's speech from Interstellar, and he's just like, <laughs> "Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Don't go into this kindly good night or whatever, you know." And um, but no, it's like it is to that level of like seriousness and like ah, this is almost like something out of like you know a real movie. <laughs> but um, it's it's really cool and like legitimately effective, and again like. You know, it's pretty goddamn uh, invigorating, and especially if you see it in a theater with like the speakers and stuff. Oh yeah, it kind of like you know, like cleans you out. You know, (laughs) so that's good. Concession stands job. (laughs) Right, right. No need to go to Qdoba afterwards. That's maybe too much information. The point is, is that they arrive in Hollow Earth, which is, this is where we really start getting into, like, the uh, imagery that seems whole wholeheartedly just harvested from the, like, 1993 giant monster fighting game uh, Primal Rage. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Kong battling kind of the, the, the cobra monster. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. The, the the war bats, which yeah. the the war bats look like. What's the what's the most accessible thing to explain this to folks? Kind of like a, if a face hugger had like um, uh, flesh between its fingers and was, could also kind of like fly a little bit because it's you know it looks like that. Um, and they're just like these giant bat things that immediately start like attacking Kong. Cause there's like, okay, there's like 30 seconds of like looking around and like, well, you know, well, I think we're, we, we need to get to the point that first it's the, the snake monsters that he battles and then he rips off one of their skulls and like drinks their drinks, their sweet brains. Oh no, sorry. Uh, and, the, and those things, the temple, right? No, those things, 
the the smaller bat things i don't know what they're called but those snake things that are flying are called war bats i know this because oh. playmates made an action figure out of them um so that's their like official in universe canon name I and um i think you alluded to this earlier but like you know th they eat one of the heaves one of the three heaves uh so which are the flying you know uh yeah. space pod things that the team yeah, the is one in that didn't have any of the uh <laughs> right. any of the important actors yes in. yes um and so kong immediately like grabs it and swings it into the other one which is like so awesome and then gets the one down and proceeds to deliver a, a stunning series of blows that are reminiscent of his takedown of Gorosaurus in King Kong Escapes insofar as number of direct shots to the face that are delivered without cutting the camera, which I think in King Kong Escapes is like 25 shots to the face. This thing is like, you know, he punches it like seven times, but like, you know, it's pretty great. Yeah. Um, Gorosaurus, of course, if you recall, he beat him until like, foam <laughs> came out of his mouth he like he, he not only killed him but he gave him a seizure at the same time <laughs> right uh, that's, that's great how bad of a beat down it was that's right but it's okay because gorosaurus recovered and delivered the kangaroo kick to Ghidorah and destroy all monsters so he really he, you know he, he was a great comeback yeah. uh, after he was medically cleared by the medical staff to to proceed with uh, in-ring competition but um, and that's a great comeback story but uh, so then yeah you definitely just go into this crazy throne room that looks like something from yeah Primal Rage directly out of Primal Rage where it's like basically like a giant like it looked like an army of King Kongs sort of lived in this place because there's like a Kong sized throne that is carved out of like stalactite that's coming out of the floor and uh, everything's all like red and there's like i feel like there's like lava and stuff um yeah. and they're the, the big ugly like bird things in the well yes. they they react to kong finds that he's got a uh, an axe a big old battle axe yes um and he takes his rightful place uh on the throne uh, and then all the kind of a la, uh, uh, Lion King, like the the bat wombat thingies on <laughs> on the the roof of this cave, uh, immediately start like kind of like reacting to yeah. Kong on the throne. I think th there's a thing where he puts his hand on like another like Kong size handprint, and does that like activate oh, yeah. something? Sorry, that, that happens before this. He's uh, you know. Because gravity, and to a certain extent, the plot at this point does not make too much sense. He's like jumping from one. He's jumping from one cavern to the other. This is post a beatdown of the. Uh, what were they called again? War bats. Yeah. Where bats? Well, bats. Uh, war, war, war bats. War bats. You know. And uh, he he jumps, and then from the other side, because it's uh, the reverse. You know, there is a a hand, a chiseled out hand coming from the ground and he touches it and then he recalibrates his gravity or something uh, 
Yeah, it's so that's also pretty cool because yeah, besides all, Kong having just a bit of character himself. Yeah, all the stuff with like the way the Hollow Earth is set up is that basically like there's the ground and then the sky is another alternate ground, and once you jump to a certain height, you just sort of reverse and fall up, which then becomes down. I know that sounded a little weird, but that's. You know, things get weird at this point. Um, so, yeah, Kong finds his axe, which is made out of uh, the dorsal fin from a dead Godzilla. Um, and Rebecca Hall, kind of throughout the movie, and Damien Bashir mentions a few times that, like, you know, Kong and Godzilla, like, their races had, there's, like, myths that they kind of fought one another and they're like ancient enemies and stuff so that kind of plays in to that um i would like to see like that flashback cutscene, just like an army of kongs fighting an army of godzillas i think that'd be <laughs> pretty interesting but you know they're kind of both <laughs> the last of their kind um and i think right around here is where so kong like puts his axe into the ground and like starts charging up the floor and that's when you get like this sort of cool like drawing of godzilla that's almost made out of like this almost like organic kind of neon effect that kind of wraps itself around this giant pillar in the, in the ground it's a really cool visual and and kong sort of like i don't know he unlocks this element x whatever it's called in the movie, I forget. And um, and that's when Damien Bashir's daughter's like, aha, we have it, or whatever. And she starts sending out like these little drones to like, start harvesting it. And of course, everyone's like, wait, what are you doing? We have to study this stuff. And that's when she does the heel turn and is like, you know, the the rest of the military dudes like point their guns at uh, Rebecca yeah. Hall and, and Dr. Lind and Gia. And... Um, you know, and oh. you, a little before this starts, um, our team G finally makes it to Hong Kong uh, via Elon Musk's tube, and uh, right, uh, they uh, and uh, they they see like kind of a blood and guts everywhere, and you know Bernie claims it's a you know I guess where 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 there's a where the you know Illuminati perform their sacrifices. And um, then they kind of figure out that they're in a ring, uh, and a skull crawler comes out of one of these doors and starts chasing them when it is stopped by a Mecha Godzilla. Yes. We see that Damien Bashir is in a control room, like kind of watching this all, uh, as you do when you're a villain. Uh, you, you gotta watch. Yeah, um, he likes and, to watch. Uh, and uh, Mechagodzilla murders a skull crawler. Yes, that's correct. Mechagodzilla is in this movie, and he's kind of revealed at this point basically to be the big bad. And um, I love his design, and some people say it's a little silly. He does look like a, a transcription of like if a five-year-old drew Mechagodzilla like his upper 
torso just looks like a big M. <laughs> you know, like his... <laughs> he looks... What does he look like? He, he looks sort of like in that episode of Ren and Stimpy when Ren got, like, the, uh, the fat out of Stimpy's butt surgically implanted to his pectoral muscles, you know, so that he could have strong muscles and kind of walk around and, like... Or, I guess, all I could think of is cartoons, but, like, also when Goofy, those, like, exercise instructional cartoons, when Goofy, like, just at the end of it, when he can't work out, he just puts, like, the cutout of the big strong man in front of him. That's kind of what Mechagodzilla looks like in this movie. Just sort of, like, beefed up, you know, eyes are red. He's More been in the basement. More the one in Ready Player One, I'd say. But, yes. Uh... Um, but he's got... The cool thing about this Mechagodzilla is he's got the reach, and yeah. his hands are like like hooks or claws, you know? Like, it makes sense. Like, he can actually... Whoever built this thing, which I guess was Damien Bashir, like, built it with the idea in mind that, like, this thing is going to grapple with Godzilla and, like, and po potentially Kong. So, like, let's have it be able to kind of, like, you know, maneuver in a fight in a, in a way that's like makes sense you know um and i've look i love mechagodzilla i've always loved mechagodzilla movies with mech mecha g in them tend to be some of the best uh godzilla movies so like and his presence definitely shall we say amplifies things yeah. in this film raises the stakes <laughs> absolutely and you know, I'm I always welcome uh, Mechagodzilla's presence in the in these films. So um, in this sequence, so they they elude being eaten. They also elude capture. They're still able to kind of like sneak around the place, and we figure out that Sarazawa Jr. is controlling Mechagodzilla, and we learn that he's doing it. Via King Ghidorah's skull, that right. bit, j j just the bones, just the head. Um, he, that that Charles Dance bought on the black market in the yeah. post credit scene in King of the Monsters. Continue. Uh, yeah, so he's controlling um, it via telepathy, but using the head as like a, I don't know, one of those rides at Dave and Buster's. <laughs> It's it's like the fully the, the uh, a fully immersed uh, video game system. He's oh, in. the um, yeah, the dream machine. The what? The dream machine. The dream is what machine. it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he's in one of those that's made out of King Ghidorah's head, and I guess they, Bernie or someone explains it must have something to do with like its DNA and Godzilla and Mechagodzilla's DNA make it work more like an animal. I don't know. Bullshit. <laughs> right. Not important. Yeah, Sci-fi. Not, not important. So Sci-fi nonsense. I mean, Bernie says something about a psychotropic, psychokinetic, cycloptic <laughs> uh, uplink. And there's a lot of pretty purple neon tubes coming out of the skull and going into Sarazawa's, like, helmet. Um the design of which there's kind of like a visor going over it and i thought kind of nicely was sort of a callback to like 
maybe sort of the helmets of the Planet X dudes from um, Invasion of Astro Monster a little bit. I might be overreaching there. Also sort of looks like the helmet, uh, the VR helmet from Videodrome, starring social pariah uh, James Woods <laughs> and uh, Deborah Harry. Uh, everyone listening to this should watch Videodrome tonight. <laughs> Uh, don't if you're younger. It's it's a super fucked up. Anyways, um, right? Okay. So yeah, Mechagodzilla's on the scene. So yeah, and he's on the scene. Um, so Godzilla starts attacking Hong Kong, and he starts blowing his breath. Oh, and they show civilians actually running for cover. But they do that without cutting so much away from Godzilla. We don't get to see him, you know, destroy the place. Um, it, well, yes, he's he he arrives, yeah. but it's not just wanton, unfocused destruction. He he gets up onto land, and he proceeds to like kind of bend over and aim his head at the ground. Right. And he begins, uh, you know, fire breath. Or he he begins shooting his atomic breath at the ground, like in a yeah. concentrated form that's much more powerful and more angrier, right. more angry <laughs> than ever before. And his uh, breath eventually makes it to the center. So this is all kind of cross-cutting together. Godzilla's doing that. Uh, Damien Bashir, there's something wrong with Mechagodzilla. It's like, you know, the, the, the something's wrong with the head. So that's why they also need um, the his daughter to get the info. They, she doesn't even need to send the sample. She just needs to send the components of the sample, the, I guess, the, 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 the data of the sample. Yeah. That way they, like, Mechagodzilla can find They scan on. the element X. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. um... Bernie and kids are then caught. They're caught um, and uh, they're brought. And Damien Bashir is in the middle of giving his bad guy speech when Mechagodzilla comes alive and kills him. <laughs> it's and it's beautiful because and it's like beautiful and meta. <laughs> you can, um, you know, it's from Damien Bashir's sort of like VIP suite overlooking like the gut the mecha godzilla training facility so you can see mecha g in the background kind of like waking up kind of turning his head at david bashir kind of cracking his knuckles <laughs> starting to walk towards him and you know birdie and millie bobby brown and ricky baker all sort of like they see it you know but his back is turned yeah and yeah, it's that's a cool little scene. Yeah. Um, and then Bernie, you know, tops it off by saying, you know, like darn, I really wanted to hear what that guy was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> which really made, which really adds a meta element to it, but uh, appropriately show. So appropriately so. Um. Yeah. Um, no, that was so, one of his best lines. Yeah. So. <laughs> so. Uh, so. King Kong. Now that there's a whole. Through the center of the earth, um, I guess he can we, smell or hear 
what? Right. We, we should right. mention that Godzilla's atomic breath drilled into the center of the Earth, which, yeah. again, aside from Gorath, when they actually turn the planet physically into a spaceship, when they build rocket thrusters in Antarctica or whatever, aside from that, this is the second most crazy thing to ever happen in one of these movies easily you know and that's saying something (laughs) so kong goes through this hole so they they uh dismiss with uh what's her name with uh with uh, damien bashir's daughter gets uh killed by kong the the bat pigeons or whatever were hanging up there Um, well she gets she gets crushed because she's in a heave that's right caught by kong he crushes it mm-hmm. yeah and then for hate's they, sake and then kong yells down the hole that godzilla has made so he jumps into the hole and then uh <sighs> team kong follows and we cut to and this scene was like really great because it's like in that it's horrible but like it's we cut to team godzilla trying to escape and basically what it sets up is they are being held in a room that is very close by to where Mechagodzilla is, is like being controlled. Mm-hmm. And it's like a little two-minute scene. Um, but the real purpose of this scene, because when we cut back, Kong is, emerges from the hole, from the goddamn center of the earth. Yeah. And has just climbed thousands of miles. And, <laughs> and what that little scene does, it's like a little sleight of hand where it's like distracts us from the fact that Kong did indeed just climb from the center of the earth, which would have taken in any sane world, even if he was falling up for the first half of it, would have still taken like a week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But like... He's already there. Because the movie doesn't care at this point. They just want the big monkey to punch the big dinosaur in the face. Again and again. So Kong comes out of the hole, battle axe in hand, and he and Godzilla begin to fight. (laughs) And it's very nice. There's a lot of neon, there's a lot of going into buildings, and smashy. It's just fun. Kong hits hits, uh, Godzilla in his very... Uh, buttery thighs, uh, just uh, uh, with the axe, and, and, and basically doing everything he can to keep Godzilla from using his fire breath. He ends up absorbing at one point the atomic breath into his uh, into the axe. Yes, like he uses it as a shield. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. The atomic breath. Yeah, no, it, it's awesome. It's ridiculous, but satisfyingly so. Um. Yeah, no, their fight is really awesome. Um, there's a part where Godzilla throws Kong through a building and dislocates his arm, yeah. which is awesome. And no, this stuff is just gold. It's just, yeah. it's gold, and they don't cut away hardly at all. Yeah. And it's. And, uh... They really have unlocked like the Showa era like editing sensibilities of like okay, we have all of our main characters in Hong Kong now, the monsters are fighting, 
the humans are just going to stand on a hill, turn to the left, watch the monsters fight. Because it's a goddamn movie about monsters fighting. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So this and that's fight, what they do. And it, that's why it works. And this fight common, culminates, culminates. Culminates. Culminates in uh, Colgate, <laughs> Total Whitening. Um, it, it, it ends with uh, Godzilla on top of Kong, uh, just yelling at each other. And you think, you know, Godzilla is either going to kill, like, just, like, narc him with his uh, atomic breath. Uh, or maybe they were going to make out, you know, maybe, maybe they were just going to, you know, Kong was going to, you know, stick his tongue down Godzilla's throat and, uh, you know, uh, a lot of heavy petting, much to the chagrin of all the humans watching. And uh, then Sarazawa comes out and says, let them fraught. <laughs> I mean, at this point, most of the humans who would be in their immediate vicinity are dead or dying. <laughs> so it's not a problem. But my homoerotic fan fiction aside, uh, Godzilla just screams at Kong, lets him know who beat him, uh, almost like uh, the end of uh, <laughs> of, um, Captain, uh, of uh, Captain America's Civil War. Uh, just, you know, that's the kind of, like, defeat Kong is feeling right now. Um, and Godzilla just starts walking away and probably would have left were it not for... Mecha Godzilla making an appearance. So Kong yeah. is down at the count. And I, I wanted to say, I think the reason why Godzilla walks away is that he looks into Kong's eyes and his heart, <laughs> and he at this moment realizes that Kong is not the threat that he has been perceiving throughout the movie, and wow. thusly they are no longer enemies. They have now become best friends um and that's why he turns to kind of walk away mm -hmm. and that's when mechagodzilla is released um and he's very angry and it's great because he immediately goes crazy and like immediately short circuits the the brain pan or whatever from sarazawa's controls right. so like it's basically like the ghost of King Ghidorah just kicks kicks in yeah. and is controlling Mechagodzilla immediately. And I, I appreciated that, where they didn't even have the bullshit scene of, like, Mecha G coming out and kind of being, like, you know, the Ed 209 from Robocop, where it's like he sort of works how he's supposed to work a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then breaks down. This is just, it immediately goes crazy yeah. and starts like nuking buildings left and right. And um, I appreciated that. The, yeah. Uh, grabbing Godzilla by the head and just smashing him into buildings, like not punching him, it, just head straight into buildings. Nate, Mecha Godzilla is literally beating Godzilla like a rug. <laughs> <laughs> in this, in that, how you would take a rug and beat it against the corner of like a building to get the dust out of it. That's what Mecha G. It's not even like a fight. It's like just Mecha G is humiliating Godzilla's basic kaiju decency and dignity. You know, this is like 
this is not a fight. This is this is a horse whipping. So, <laughs> so it's great. This, so this is going on in the background when um, when Rebecca Hall and Child and Nathan or Skarsgård um, all pop out of their ship, and there there's a bit of information that uh, Damien Bashir's daughter casually uh, let go earlier in the film that the engines that power uh, the, the little the the, Heaves. the hollow earth ships yeah. uh, is enough to like light Kansas for a day like or she says the exact day. words are uh, there's enough energy coming off these en- engines to power Las Vegas for a week Las Vegas for a week so he he um, so they see that uh, so the daughter figures out because she can feel things um, that Kong's heart isn't working so they need right to sorry just, just to be clear the native girl Gia is figuring yes, this Gia, out Gia the daughter the Damien girl. Bashir's daughter is dead oh, yeah, at this point dead. yeah no yeah. she's dead and evil uh, <laughs> and does not care um, but yeah uh, Gia uh, you know signs that you know hey his heart's not working so it's like god we need we need something with energy something with enough power to you know to juice las vegas for a week so <laughs> they decide to use the uh the ship as a defibrillator <laughs> they yes. they rest it on kong's chest to defibrillate it another perfect example of like this is this is how the humans should be interacting with the monsters not to do other shit not to be finding each other in their childhood homes that they're hiding in at the climax of the movie that we're supposed to care about but just to revive the monsters so they can continue fighting each other that's yes that yeah. <laughs> okay don't you get it asshole uh, alexander sarsgaard gets his cool guys don't look at explosions moment where he's running away from the heave as it explodes and immediately like revives kong back to like level 10 rage hall levels and uh it really reminded me of um first of all in halloween when michael myers just sort of leans up or the undertaker in wwe does it all the time when he's just like laying dead in the ring and just you know sits up um but it's also from king kong versus godzilla when kong is getting struck by the lightning and he you know is just laying there like a sack of potatoes and then also just sort of sits up grabs godzilla's tail it's i really think it's it's a direct visual tribute to that beat from um from the original toho movie and yeah then kong grabs his axe uh, and goes to work on Mechaji. Oh yeah, yes. He he is because his shoulder's been pulled out of the socket or whatever. Um, much like Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon Two, when his character Martin Riggs has to dislocate his arm in order to escape from a straitjacket, um, Kong has to relocate his shoulder by hitting it up against the building, and it's like. Uh, it's great. 
so awesome. <laughs> like, that moment is better than anything that happens in the previous three movies. You know what I mean? The three of them just have a nice fight. And Kong and Godzilla teaming up just to defeat Mechagodzilla. It's just really fun. It's like, yes, yes, I've been wanting this for so long now. <laughs> yeah, and again, it's it's a fun fight, and like... You know, Kong kind of gets his ass kicked for a while, and they brought back like the the drill bit uh, tip or end of the tail, which mm-hmm. is in one of the ver. Actually, no, that is from <laughs> the Dragon Sword from Power Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Tommy's uh, green Dragon Sword has like the the drill tip, and this looks exactly like it. Uh, the end of uh, Mechagodzilla's tail. Um, and it's like almost like in a drill Kong in the face. And then Kong gets his super axe charged up by... Um... Oh, wait, no, 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 sorry. They cut back to Team Godzilla one final sufferable time when uh, they're trying to figure out how to deactivate the controls on Mecha G. And... Um... Ricky Baker takes this flask of whiskey from uh, Bernie's dead wife that has its own subplot that we haven't even bothered to mention because it's, you know. Uh, but it, the point is he takes the whiskey out and pours it on the controls for uh, Mechagodzilla, which temporarily, like, confuses him or gives him, like, a brain freeze or something. And it, it, it distracts him long enough that Kong can get the upper hand with his axe that gets charged by Godzilla's atomic breath and Kong proceeds to like it like remove limbs from Mechaji in a in a way that reminded me of like the Anakin Obi-Wan fight in uh episode three. Cause if you thought we were gonna make it through an episode without referencing the prequels, think again. But you know, when Obi-Wan is like Etiquette now! I've got the high ground! You know, and like, just sort of very fluidly and almost in a beautiful fashion chops off, you know, those, the arm and like two legs. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the same thing with Kong. He kind of like, he's removing limbs at a very efficient pace with this axe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then pulls Mechagodzilla's head off. Yeah. Uh, and thusly killing him for now but he's a robot so you can always rebuild (laughs) (laughs) um godzilla comes to gets up sort of staggering around in the classic i can't believe i ate the whole thing style (laughs) uh millie bobby brown meets back up with kyle chandler who has somehow yuga teleported to uh hong kong uh, in a scene with uh, Lance Reddick is also in this movie for a sec, yeah. like one second. Yeah, um, which uh, confused me because I thought, like, wait, was he in the other two or three? Did I like completely forget about him having a character? It was like, nope, he was just in this one, um, which is nice because he's awesome. Um, yeah, no, he's I great. They were there because it's implied that Monarch's headquarters is also like next to Apex headquarters. And I guess because they knew Godzilla was coming to Hong Kong, they were just like, oh, we just happened to be in the same place. Yeah. 
I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a little unclear how uh, how <laughs> how they get there. So how they get to Hong Kong because they show them in Florida. Um, Kyle Chandler and and he's just in Hong Kong all of a sudden, and that's not like a short trip. But no. um, you know, everyone's back together, and Godzilla kind of you know turns to Kong and he's like, you know what, our beef is uh, you know we've we've bur- we've buried the the hatchet as it were, and uh, I respect you. I respect what you're all about. Um, and I think we can we can be best friends now. And then Godzilla turns, as he so often does, as his prerogative in these films, once everything's been destroyed, and walks out to the sea majestically. Yes. And Kong is like, all right, we're good now. Hong Kong gets it pretty bad in this movie. Um like it gets one of the worst hosings of any major city in any of these films i mean boston got it pretty bad at the end of king of the monsters but like hong kong there's like two buildings left standing and uh it's just utterly obliterated what i'm trying to say is hong kong gets it roughly half as bad as metropolis does at the end of man of steel so it's a real cataclysm it's a real problem going forward for the people of that city um they already had the mighty P. King Man right. to deal with, uh, in the 60s, and now this. <laughs> um, on a totally unrelated note, this movie is doing amazingly well in mainland China, and uh, they love it. <laughs> um, you know, political. Keeping things political. That's that's why you tune in for the commentary, for the political stuff, okay? That's, that's what's kept this podcast alive all these years. Um... Well, the final scene yes. is where we cut to, appropriately, you know, parallels, uh, we cut to the hollow earth where Kong now lives, yes. uh, king of his domain, and there's now like a, uh, the, the team, the same team that was on his fake Skull Island is now, uh, is now in the hollow earth where, you know, Kong actually has, you know, roaming room, room to roam. Um, and uh, yeah, everyone seems uh, happy and satisfied. Yes, and apparently they've standardized the uh, the trip through the to the Hollow Earth, which I, we didn't even really describe it. Once they get spit out of this sort of like black hole time and light bending thing, you know, they had mere seconds to to you know regain control of the heaves before they just fell into the ground and were smashed and destroyed and it's an extremely harrowing sequence of of excitement and tension yeah. uh you know but like but it's kind of hard to describe yeah it's, it's kind of saying you have to you have to see the movie right but it's <laughs> not something you would subject a child to twice knowingly right. But, you know, G is just down there. So I guess they made it better. And Kong is just sort of chilling out. And they've got this cool song from the 70s uh, playing. And it's just like a chilled out vibe. And uh, then the 10 minutes of credits start. Um, and that, so far, is the end of the Warner Brothers Monsterverse. And that is the end of, of Godzilla versus Kong. Um, so 
Godzilla versus Kong, third time's the charm. That's uh, yeah. That, that's uh, how, how this is. This series thus far is going to end. You've got three Godzilla movies, one of them good. You've got two Kong movies, both of them. Uh, well, Skull Island's good. This one much better. Yeah. Much less fat. Yeah. Uh, much leaner, much meaner, and more enjoyable. Yes. Un- unlike Kyle Chandler's d- dad bod, it's uh, <laughs> in ways that he has expanded the plot and everything else has become way leaner. And well, well, Mike, you have to understand that he's a Godzilla expert, and you know this is the more body positive Godzilla, <laughs> dad bodzilla, you might say. <laughs> so he's trying to think. He's trying to get into Godzilla's head. He's just. You know what? Just... I think you're right. I think I think you've hit upon something important. To, to, and, to find uh, a Godzilla, I've got to think like Godzilla. I've got to eat. Godzilla eats. <laughs> like Godzilla. <laughs> I have to sleep underwater for like millions of years. Um, but yeah, no, this was a this is a fun flick. I would check it out, and I would say they finally have made one of these that's like as fun uh, as. You know, certainly the maybe the not as great entries from the Showa era. Uh, I think this is better than a, a couple of 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 those. Um, and you know, it it holds its own and and it functions as like a Godzilla movie and without like qualifiers, which is like so fun and, and I'm so glad. <laughs> that we can say that because you know being a godzilla fan over the last like seven years has been a little rough because you know with the obvious exception of of shin godzilla which was great you know we did have that netflix trilogy of planet of the monsters and um city on the edge of battle and the planet eater and then, you know, these first few MonsterVerse movies, which weren't like slam dunks by anyone's, uh, you know, whatever. And I, I try to explain it to people by being like, okay, what if you are like a huge fan of like James Bond movies, but then like five bad James Bond movies came out in a row? And after a while, you'd start thinking to yourself, is there something wrong with me? Have I just am I just too old to enjoy these movies now? And or, you know, is it just dead as a franchise and there's just nothing left? Or, you know, you try to come up with all these reasons why like why it doesn't work. And in the end, it's like, no, 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 they're just not making them right. And then when something like this happens, you know, to quote like, uh, uh, I think Jim Carrey from Dumb and Dumber. It's like you do all these terrible things and then you pull a stunt like this and totally redeem yourself. <laughs> like they pulled it out of the furnace in this yeah. and they pulled it out late. Like this yeah. is the last film in a trilogy, uh, if you know, or a quadrilogy. And this is the first one that's like pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, like. You know, they they almost totally boffed it here, but yeah. um, you know, I'm 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 glad to say that this is a worthwhile venture, and 
a excellent sort of ambassador to like the kaiju and Godzilla brand. You know, you can show this to someone who doesn't like hasn't seen the other movies and be like, yes, this is what a good Godzilla movie looks like with like a two hundred and fifty million dollar budget. That's what this is. It's not rocket science. Apparently, it was so hard that you know they had to do it like four times before they got it right. Um, but no, we're, we, we're, we're here. We've cracked the code. And uh, I'm shocked because, you know, when it was first uh, announced that Adam Wingard was going to direct this thing, all I knew him from was the American adaptation of Death Note. And I was just like, this is going to be trash. <laughs> but, uh, boy. Another Japanese tra- <laughs> Right. But boy, Japanese franchise? No, no. I was wrong. But I was wrong. Hey, you know, we all grow. I, I, I think like whether it's the directors or writers or even actors, it's not. You know, if you make something bad, I never want you to do it again. I just want you to better yourself. Yeah, and you know, again, I do genuinely think this film uh, benefited from having an extra year to work on it which is such a freak kind of gift for the post-production team because most of the time these things are murdered by the release date and just you know forcing these things out and and this was actually like you know they didn't wallow in it for like decades it's not like chinese democracy from guns and roses i mean they did release it in some amount of time that it was like you know contemporaneous but like you know giving that extra year i think yeah. really helped they were able to see the full picture they were able to see like what do we really need this you know do, do we really need this here what can we trim what you know streamlines the story and it it worked it worked and i i am not ashamed to have given this my money so yeah um so it kind of is an exciting time to be a Godzilla fan again, not only because of this, but also uh, the previews for the upcoming uh, Godzilla Netflix series, which, to be crystal clear, totally separate from the original like Netflix trilogy that we've been uh, bad-mouthing. This is an entirely new project, uh, it's called Godzilla Singular Point, and its release date is eminent, and it looks totally bonkers. Jet Jaguar is, like, one of the main characters. Uh, uh, you know, it's animated, um, but, like, Gabra is in it? Yeah. You know, like, what? They're going, they're, they're going into the vault. Uh, oh, yeah. Unlike one, you know, uh, another disappointing thing with this, the Warner Brothers franchise is that you've got this vault of of characters and you know they're just like skimming off the top right you know whereas this one actually looks like it's going deep um you know now right it's not so much the monsters however that are going to make or break this it's whether they can tell a good story with said monsters whether they can make good fights with said monsters so so we'll see but we're waiting with bated breath and you know uh, Godzilla versus Kong was a win. We'll put that in the plus column. And if Singular Point is as good 
as the trailers make it look at, to be. You know, I, I think we could be looking at uh, one of the better times to be a, a G fan since like 2002, 2003. Um, basically, right before Godzilla Final Wars came out and sort of wet the bed a little. It's a fun movie, you know, but it's it kind of... Yeah, fun and it's yeah. again tended to be a swan song so yeah one of it's, the numerous swan songs this franchise has had so yeah um but you know we'll see it's i i have hope again <laughs> um so you've been listening to the godzilla pod war hour um we are available as of right now on Podbean. Uh, you can also listen to us through Apple Podcasts. Please uh, like and subscribe and comment to our endless blather about kaiju movies. And our, you know, we've been doing this for several years now. So you can go back, listen to the first episode, chart our slow descent into madness. You know, make a day out of it. Um, actually, there's more episodes that you could listen to in a day. So, too many in a way uh <laughs> but we're also on facebook um and on twitter at mike kelly at godzilla pod war and which we barely use that twitter account but um you know technically it still exists yeah we use it more than our tumblr <laughs> absolutely our tumblr is like hasn't been touched in half a decade at this point so <laughs> i don't know if it's still out there but anyways uh closing thoughts uh mr bear uh it just feels good to see a godzilla movie again yeah like a real one a functional yep. one a real one <laughs> something no. again you can point to and just be like yes that that is that. why i like these movies because of that they're actually like fun yeah unlike king kong we do not have an axe to grind this time <laughs> uh, but thanks for listening everybody and uh stay safe out there get vaccinated and um you know like practice social distancing and stuff and because yeah i want to go back to movies we all want to go back to movies that's kind of why we do this because we love going to movies so like i think we're turning a corner here and um yeah um thank you so much for listening to us good fight and good night happy hunting and rage 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 against the darn line shall i prepare the Godzilla dorsal fin axe for you, Master Kong. <laughs> the construction crane in. Much more subtle.